pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> hey, everybody. I'm your host, Felipe. You're listening to the Total Basis Podcast. And with me, as always, it's my host, my co-host, I should say, Sean Flannery. How are you doing today? Uh, you got to add some words to that title. It's no longer just host or co-host. It is baseball life fantasy baseball champion. That's right, right, folks. Get it right. That's right, right, folks. Today is Sean Flannery's uh, (laughs) victory lap as he is your current baseball life champion. Excuse me. Suck it, Aaron. (laughs) Oh, you've been waiting for three years. Oh, I can't share my screen, by the way. Oh, 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 no. That's that's a mea culpa. Yeah. But uh, no, uh, yeah, he mentioned Erin, uh, who's our Canadian friend from Canada, obviously. Uh, she's uh, won back-to-back champions. Uh, and before that, our buddy Vince, uh, before he bolted for uh, the league, uh, he won a championship. I mean, I mean so. he won it once, and then he was just like, I'm, good. I'm out. Yeah, like yeah. he's like, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, and then he what proceeded to join a 30-team league. A 30-team league with you or something? Yeah, me and him were in the, in the same 30-team league, which also this year I came in second place. So sl- solid fantasy year for me this year. I had a couple of leagues. I, I was either like top three, you know, in this league and the 30-team. And then I had some leagues that I was just like bottom two or three teams in. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, uh, your boy, your boy Daniel is asking us to check you for PEDs. <laughs> mm. He's also asking if Max Fried is the best uh, pitcher in the NL East. Ah, uh, that's a good joke. I mean, it, that was a fun game he pitched, but come on now, <laughs> Let, let's be realistic. I, I mean, he's in Colorado and he's just he's just typing like he's high right now. <laughs> I mean, saying that Max Fried's the best pitcher in the National League East. Oh my God. Does he not realize how good uh, Charlie Morton pitched the, just the day before? Like, come on. Well, well that was before. I mean, what, it's a what have you done for me lately scenario. You know what I mean? <laughs> okay, so I guess you can see my screen. I was just making sure. I, I, I my, can see it now. Because my cursor is on the, I don't know, it's all messed up today. But there it is. Uh, you can see that there's the Fantrax page right there. Uh, look, I mean, look at this. This is This is beautiful. The confetti, the trophy. My wife's already working on your banner. Woohoo! So, and uh, yeah, so there it is. Final score, fifteen to six. I think I was winning like almost really going into week. like Friday. I think you, I think you had the lead going into the last Friday, and I, I was uh, a little worried. A little but worried. It, it just kept dwindling and dwindling, and it, and, and then you you kept chipping away, <clears throat> and then eventually uh, you took the lead on. I think I think you tied me on Saturday night, and then. When I woke up that uh, on Sunday morning, you had already taken lead. And when when I was uh, when I went to the soccer game, high as a kite. Yeah. So that was that, that was a uh, yeah, so that was that was interesting. That was the first time I ever gotten uh, uh, high on anything. And I didn't have my phone with me. I, I didn't have my phone. I, that's how high I was. I forgot my phone. I came back. You and you were already crushing me. I'm like, man, can I have another edible? Because uh, I don't want to. I don't want. I think this is a nightmare. You see, uh, I was honestly. I was very afraid because during the first few days of that period, Juan Soto could not make an out. He had like a 780 on base. It was like for the entire period, including the weekend, he had a 686 on base percentage, which uh, obviously we track in our league. 
And I was just like, how the hell am I going to win if Juan Soto is not getting out? And then, of course, Luis Rivera had a great week. Vlad Guerrero had a pretty good week. But we just we just kind of held on, you know, that. So that was nice. Uh, yeah, uh, you, you did actually did a, a hold on um, and you were able to get the victory. Like I said, by the time I, I got back to my phone uh, after the soccer match, uh, I looked down and, and, and the lead just your lead kept growing and growing and growing. I'm like, wow, this this is not how I expected things to go. Uh, but uh, your team was able to persevere despite the barrage attack from uh, Juan Soto. But yeah, I think I think that's right. So I, I'm trying to pull the September 20th to September 26th uh, stat- statistics, right? Yeah. And it says that Guerrero only hit a dollar eighty five that ga- uh, that week, which that, that wow. might have uh, explained why uh, my team kind of went bad. But I mean, you, you, everybody else showed up. Uh, where's Juan Soto? Juan Soto. That yeah, was that is. was what the twentieth through the twenty sixth. You said, yeah. I'm assuming that so that's what it is. The first like two games that week, the twenty second and twenty first, he had two hits, but in, in in each game, so all four of his hits basically came at the very beginning of the week. Juan Soto, I don't think made an out till Friday, and oh, I I was nervous. I had to start Tucker Barnhart, my uh, catcher duo of Carson Kelly and Tyler Stevenson had been healthy basically all year, aside from Carson Kelly's one stint on the IL. And I had to start Tucker Barnhart the first period of the week. And then finally, I get Tyler Stevenson in there on Friday. He goes four for nine with a walk and strikeout, including a home run and three RBIs. So Tyler Stevenson is just like the best good luck charm in the world for me, I guess. Well, he's going to move up uh, in rankings next year. He has to. I mean... He impressed a lot of people. I, I've seen his name pop up in so many uh, baseball podcasts. So uh, his stock is going up. Uh, and I guess that ends the Tucker Barnhart uh, era in Cincinnati, right? Finally, hopefully, because I'm done with him. Everybody's bye, been done with him. Bye, bye. All right. That's a good sign. Um, but yeah, uh, so maybe it was Guerrero not showing up at the end that killed my chances. But everybody else, like I said, even Glavar Torres showed up with a 440 on base percentage that final week. Uh, Luis Robert, uh, he did strike out four times, but he also hit two home runs, drove in five guys. So uh, I think the pitching is what did me in. But you know, Kevin Gossman, the ace that he is, fourteen strikeouts per walk. I, I mean, innings. the the pitching numbers were pretty similar. I just had like twenty something more innings than you did. I mean, like ERA and WHIP were right neck and neck. Home runs per nine, neck and neck. But I ended up getting seven quality starts. In an yeah, entire I, week playoff, and that's that I, I could not ask for anything more. Yeah, when I saw that, um, because I saw that the number of pitchers, the starting pitchers you had, and uh, just how good those guys were, and I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, you know, I'm not gonna catch him with the starting pitching. So I went back to my old trusty ways, and uh, you know, because we switched lineups on Friday, so I go, yep. you know what, I, I I covered my innings limit for the week. Um, all the pitch, all the nice matchups, uh my three starting pitchers that I'm going to go with. I like those matchups. I don't want to do anything too uh, drastic and, 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 and take a risk on somebody from the waiver wire who, who's, you know, we talk about it all like time and time again, starting pitching depth is awful this year, especially if you're yeah. depending on guys from the waiver wire to save you. Uh, and you can always stream guys and 
you know, you could definitely do that, but I just didn't want to, the, the, uh, the poor choices along with poor talent and just bad production. I didn't want to risk it. So I just went, I just went with five relievers that weekend, hoping that I could steal those uh, rate stats and, and, and take advantage of the fact that, uh, how, how, let me see. I'm just trying to look down. There it is. Uh, yeah, that, that I was going to try to dominate all the saves that not, and, and this is what killed me. Somebody blew a save. So that took away a category and then you finally got that hold. So yeah, I couldn't even I, do that. I, 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 couldn't I mean, dominate. I was putting holds all year. And the fact that I was able to somehow tie that in the championship cracks me up. Yeah. And well, that, that was my going to be my strategy. I'm going to limit my home runs. You saw me get rid of Hector Neris because he was giving way too many home runs. Diego Castillo was also dropped because he was giving up way too many home runs. I was going to just steal those uh, rate stats and, and those relief pitching stats and give you the, the starting pitching stats, like the strikeouts. Uh, the the quality starts, the wins. Uh, you can have those. I'll have everything else. And that strategy didn't turn out very well for me either. So uh, just everything that everything that I was using to be successful and get me the 30 wins in 44 uh, regular season period games, scheduled periods, uh, it didn't work this week. And, uh, you know, and then, oh, my God, I lost all the hitting categories except for doubles. And that also killed me because I, I was winning those categories all week long. You, oh, I, you, I mean, you had... Like average and on base, I think were yours until maybe Sunday. Like, yeah. And I, I was just, I was so worried. I was like, oh my God, Juan Soto's not getting out. Luis Robert is hitting dongs. I mean, I was legitimately worried. And it just, my team, they just kept going and going and going. And we ended up in the championship and we won. So, <laughs> I mean, I'll take it. Yeah. I mean, no, no, I mean, not, you just didn't take the championship. You, you dominated the, uh, your, your, your team finally showed up on the weekend. Um, and like I said, I came back from the soccer match and the lead was so insurmountable. Like it was like, forget it. I, I, I have to concede before the games even end. And uh, that was pretty much it. But so there, there it is, Sean, your championship. Uh, how does it feel? Good. <laughs> I, I, I'm a little pissed in my 30-team league that I came in second after I defeated the very, very stacked team that has, like, Trout, Betts, Arenado all on the same team. Yeah. But uh, winning first place in the Baseball Life League, that uh, that makes up for it because, you know, that's the home league. That's, that's where I, I really want to do well in because everybody else sees it. So, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm happy about it. Now, so- now we just have to – start looking forward to keepers and i have not a freaking clue what i'm gonna do there yeah because you have a lot of depth uh on your, in your oh lineup, right? i got i got too much mm-hmm. like i i feel like i need to keep at least one starter and then i look at all my hitters and i'm like well i mean does otani count as a starter like can i if i keep him does that count as keeping one starter <laughs> yeah one starter every like seven days if you're yeah. going for that yeah. <laughs> Um, so here are the best players from this league, uh, according to the fan tracks league based on our scoring, which we, what, what was it again? We do a 10 by 10, right? We do Ele- 10, 11, 11. Oh, is it, is it 11 by 11? I think it's 11. I think oh, it's yeah, still yeah. 11 by 11. Yeah. Okay. So we do 11 pitching categories, 11 hitting categories, uh, and Walker Bueller and Jose Ramirez were both your best starting pitcher and your best, uh, position player in this league scoring uh, a, a score of 100, according to this league, uh, according to our league rules or whatever, our league scoring. I mean, Jose uh, Ramirez still quietly had just like a superb season and nobody talked about it because he batted 266. 
Like he had 36 home runs, 100 plus runs and RBIs, and almost 30 stolen bases. And not a freaking person is talking about it. Well, it's because his team is bad as well. Um, and you know, I know, I know that every time I see Ricky, our boy Ricky from uh, our fellow Chicago White Sox fan, um, I, every time I see him, he goes, he talks about how the White Sox players are not are being overlooked for MVP consideration. And he always brings up, but yeah, everybody wants Jose Ramirez to be it. And, and I know, I know that because he's that, good. <laughs> that's, well, that's also an argument that stems from with him and Henry, our boy Henry, um, uh, who's going through a tough patch right now. So uh, the thoughts and prayers to Henry right now. Uh, Jose Ramirez uh, is just so damn consistent. Uh, he is the bedrock over there. The only concern about him at this point, uh, he's going to be 30 years old next year. Uh, no, he just turned 30, so he'll be 29. He's entering his age 29 season. Uh, as you know, Sean, you know my theory on my stance on everything. Uh, the 29 is a new 31, 32. How long, how much longer can he keep up this production as uh, as he ages? I mean, I, I think the only really concern you could have with someone like Jose Ramirez is if the stolen bases go away. And he's, yeah. you know, pushing 29-30 now. But even then, if he loses some stolen bases, he's still a 30-100-100 guy. Yep. And that is just insanely valuable. Even if he only steals 10 to 15 stolen bases um, on the wrong side of 30, uh, we're looking at what? Uh, Paul Goldschmidt this year? Yeah. I mean, that, that's basically what he is, except at third base. Yeah, that's actually. I was thinking about Paul Goldschmidt because the third base is not a position people think about when they think about stolen bases. But Ramirez is the uh, not just the exception, exception, but also the benchmark as to the type of the production, consistent production you should be looking for. Um, yeah, and, and the position. fact that he was only caught stealing four times uh, with his twenty-seven successful stolen bases, I mean that that's still a pretty good percentage going into your age thirty year. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I know that uh, it's always a concern of me, uh, of mine. I mean, he's going to be 29 next year. He just turned 29, uh, on the 17th of September. Uh, but as I, uh, you know, the way the baseball world is going is that 29 is no longer the 29 that you and I think about it. 29 it, 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 league adjusted average it, to me mentally is like the new 31. That's why I, I joke about it, but I'm not really joking about it. It, uh, but it sounds, I mean, it just, there's nothing here that tells me that he's due for a dip next year. And I don't know if you noticed this, but did you see this? That Fantrax keeps track of the score from every player's yep. uh, career. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, so this is, not cool. the, this is not the first time that Jose Ramirez has hit 100 on the uh, on the Fantrax score. Yeah, 2018 it's, was uh, the GOAT year for him because he was 30-30, almost 40-30. Oh, I, are you still there, Sean? I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, you hear me? Uh, sorry. I, I thought you got cut off there. I, oh, I started no. to panic a little bit. But yeah, <laughs> I, I, yeah, you're right. That was a, a, a much better year for him than 2021. And still, uh, not to poo-poo his 2021 season like away, but that that he's done this before. Uh, I guess he has maybe another one or two seasons. But you know what, Sean? You, you talk about Paul Goldschmidt. I thought he was done, I, or not done, but I thought he was on a decline. And then he comes up this year and makes Nolan Arenado look good in St. Louis uh, by being on base all the damn time. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, so getting into the before the season started, I did have Jose Ramirez as my number one uh, third baseman. 
but I also had Anthony Rendon as my number two third baseman coming into oh, this year. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't know if you want to take a look really quick, but this is the cheat sheet that, that I've been using uh, for all my drafts. And there it is, third base, Jose Ramirez, Anthony Rendon. Oh, no. <laughs> and there's our guy, Nolan Arenado. It's like five. Jose Ramirez is just like this quiet. Like, I don't want to say quiet, but he might be the safest first round pick in like the last five years. And you know what's crazy? Three Sean? or four years. I mean, you know what's crazy? He's always available at the back end of first rounds. And <sighs> everybody else gets the sexy picks, you know, uh, the, the big sexy outfielders or the, or the big arm uh, starting pitcher. And there's a third baseman in Cleveland who just all he does is produce. So uh, Paul Goldschmidt was number eight on my list here at first base, as you can see. I, I'm chuckling seeing Christian Yelich at five. On your outfielder list. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, well, we were, I was hoping for a bounce back year. Uh, <laughs> so was I. <laughs> and that didn't happen. Uh, I know that when I was talking to Austin about it uh, back in the summer, he listed two guys uh, who were on his uh, most disappointing list for fantasy. It was Kristen Yelich and Juan Soto. And I berated him like, no, 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 you're, you're looking at it wrong. Uh, I mean, the on-base percentage is still there for those guys, but just wait until the end of summer. You're going to be eating your words because Christian Yelich and Juan Soto are going to have a big second half. And it turns out that only Juan Soto had the big second half and Christian Yelich uh, injuries and COVID and, uh, and just inconsistent play all around. Uh, I mean, that, that, and he's only 29. This is what I'm talking about, Sean. I think he's 29 as well. Yep, and he's already showing signs of of uh, of being uh, deteriorated or whatever. But yeah. our our uh, friend of the show, Andrew Sullivan, in the thirty team league, actually moved on from Christian Yelich uh, this year. Me and him had back to back picks in that inaugural draft of the thirty team dynasty. Uh, he picked Christian Yelich. I picked Aaron Judge. I was looking like the buffoon the first two years, but uh, since then. He actually he he basically did a straight up trade of Christian Yelich for Alex Bregman, and I thought that was a pretty interesting trade because Bregman was on the injured list at the time, and it's one of those like Bregman's numbers are still better, but when you make the trade for Yelich, who's been down two years in a row now, I mean he's basically a league average hitter with a high on base. It's how how does he go from 40-30 season to league average in just such a short time period? I I, I don't get it. No, I know that he's been struggling with injuries. I know there was a a, a, a kneecap. Is it called? Yep. Is that what it called? That, there was, that a was when he, yeah, he got what was it? Hit by pitch, I think. I thought he fouled the ball. Or, oh, foul foul the ball. Yeah, that's what I, it was. I think. I'm not I'm not hundred percent sure. I honestly don't know. But I know that it was a, 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 I knew that was my first cause of concern, but it's Kristen Yelich, you know, I, 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 and I personally have stock in this because he's in my key and my other keeper league, the, the points league. And uh, I've been uh, on this kid, a uh, kid on this guy since um, he was ripping apart the double a uh, minor league system for the Marlins. And he was in my, so I put him on my minor, minor league slot and I've grown attached to the guy. I, I, I love his game. Uh, and he finally developed into the power hitting stolen base machine that everybody thought he could be the power speed combination. Um, and I, I, I know, I know he also got COVID and he's also had back problems. So it's, um, years of, uh, years of just playing every day and being a consistent, uh, player, um, has finally caught up to him. 
or you could just say that he was caught cheating, you know, with the signals and and uh, Milwaukee might have had their own uh, trash can incident going on <laughs> over there. At least, you know, that's what the YouTubers tell me. <laughs> I, did my own re- I did my own research, guys, okay? You see, uh, I think the thing that throws me off the most with Christian Yelich is that from 2015 to 2019, he was in the 99th, 97th, 87th, 199th percentile in terms of expected batting average. He was, you know, just like a perfect... He was like a mini Freddie Freeman. That, that's like the best way I could describe it. And then the last two years, 49th and 48th percentile and expected batting average. It's like, what has happened? I mean, he still hits the ball hard. Um, he doesn't chase. Yeah, He's whiffing a little bit more. And it's it seems like it shouldn't be affecting him this drastically, but it is. No, uh, and like I said, I, I am. Um, I, yeah, I, I feel it. I feel it. Like I said, I have stock in him, but it, I, I, I'm just at this point. You just, uh, if you're in a keeper league, and if you could try to trade him, but you're not going to get the fair value you're going to get for him, uh, you're going to have to uh, humble yourself a little bit. Which it just depends. But he will be entering his age 30 season next year. It just depends how you want to go about it. Do you are you ready to just move on and get whatever you can? for an aging outfielder or do you think he has one more good season in hand where he just bounces back i mean the on-base percentage 362 which is what's higher than last year it's respectable but like you said it's nothing to uh, uh compared to what he was doing when he was at his absolute peak of you know hitting over 400 on-base percentage um but I mean, yeah this uh it's a it's a real mystery but i just have to account it for injuries covid uh, and just uh normal uh age decline so we'll see what happens in the offseason. I'm trying to get to his play. There it is. Play discipline numbers. Like you said, he's always been a patient guy. He's been a little bit more aggressive um, this year than he was last year. But last year was an anomaly. Who knows what the hell's what's real and what's not. Yeah, but yeah. last year was I, I've given up on like looking at those numbers and trying to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> so, so at this point, we should just combine 2020 with 2021. But he's always been a patient hitter regardless. Uh, and the contact uh, was up, you know, from last year. It's actually up since 2019. So it was uh, at 77.5% contact rate overall. So the play of the numbers are still steady. Just We just were looking for that production. That's all it is. I think the weirdest thing, just looking at his plate discipline numbers on Baseball Savant, is that his chase rate um, in 2018 and 2019 was you know 25 27 28 percent and then the last two years which have been his down years they dropped dramatically to career lows 17.7 chase percentage in uh 20 and 18 percent this year so it's it's not for like a lack of plate discipline it's you know i mean a lack of aggressiveness is that's exactly it is he getting pitched around in that lineup like it's there's so many things it could be. Uh, he had an outlier in terms of whiff percentage last year where he kind of struggled to make contact at the beginning of the year. But then this year, it was the lowest it's been since uh, 2018, 2019. So. And that's exactly right, Sean. There is such a thing as being too disciplined. We've seen it with other guys before. We've seen it personally here. We've seen it in Chicago with uh, Chris Bryant, with Anthony Rizzo, with Kyle Schwarber, guys who uh, 
are all are um, consistently at the top of the leaderboard in terms of uh, pitches per plate appearances and and uh, swing per, uh, low swing percentages and low chase rates. But you know, on the opposite side of the spectrum, we see guys be successful with a very aggressive re-swinging way, like Adalberto Mondesi, who is everybody's favorite uh, first round pick from this past season. How that worked out for you people. Uh, <laughs> when will you learn? <laughs> Tim Anderson's another example. Uh, actually, Luis Robert. And, uh, actually, the White Sox would be the opposite. Anybody the, from the, the White, White Sox. Sox. <laughs> anybody from the White Sox and, and, and their lack of plate of uh, discipline, uh, they'll tell you that. They'll poo-poo on that theory, and they'll say, these guys just swing at everything, and, and everything will be okay. They generate their own luck. They generate their own high babbit. They don't take any walks. And uh, they, 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 when they do strike out, it's fine. And even then, who let the? I wonder who let the White Sox in, um, in strikeout percentage this year. So, uh, I'm gonna take a quick I would, look right here. Oh God, I have no clue. Uh, Jesus. Okay, so I forgot that the White Sox were injured, riddled with injuries that not a lot of guys. Um, what do you call it? Qualified. Yoan Mankata really had that high of a strikeout percentage. I'm kind of shocked. Yeah, well, Mankata is the exception. He is. I believe he's a this. He he he's a very patient hitter. Yeah, so it I goes mean, back he, to what we talked about. You know, yeah, him and uh, Grandal just had like stupid high walk rates. But I mean, I guess like 25 percent is high, but it's not like dramatically high. Plus, he couples that with a 13.6 walk yeah. percentage. But again, that's because he's a very patient hitter. So we, we just talked about it. Like there is such a thing as being a little bit too patient. So, uh, so there has to be some sort of balance. Uh, and there's, uh, let's see, Zach Collins at 29.9. But again, that's coupled with a 14, 14.7 walk percentage. So I guess Aloy Jimenez at 24.7, which is that, is that even high anymore? Is that high by today's standards? I don't think it that, is. that's like probably a slightly above league average. Because uh, op- I think uh, league average was like right around like 22% this year. Uh, let's take a look. Uh, no, let's get out of here. So what I'm trying to do is see the rest of the league. So th- this this is uh, connected that show today, as uh, we're gonna be all over the place. But here, ah, okay. So people are there's a lot of people still striking out at thirty percent or more, and then Eloy Jimenez is twenty four percent. Doesn't look in, doesn't look bad by comparison. He's not even on the first page on the Fangraphs page right here. Salvador Perez is, but that was expected. <laughs> Every year, you could expect Salvador Perez to be there on that list. So uh, there's Juan Mancada at 31st. This is the second page based on uh, sorted by strikeout percentage. And oh, yeah, well, Aloy Jimenez is not going to be here, but he should be right here on this vicinity. He's Ryan McMahon. That's who he is. He's Ryan McMahon. Can you imagine if, if Eloy Jimenez was in Colorado, if he truly was Ryan McMahon? That'd be fun. Yeah. Uh, Aside from him having to play left field in that giant outfield, that would not be fun. Actually, yeah, I, he would be posting similar numbers to Ryan McMahon. 23 home runs, 86 RBI, same strikeout percentages. I think a little bit more power, though. So, so th- I know these three, the, the slash line would be a lot better if Aloha Jimenez oh, yeah. was in Colorado. For sure. But, yeah, those are. don't tell me that there's no course field effect. I mean, come on, guys. <laughs> uh, so that's so so that's pretty interesting. Uh, uh... That, so we're at a crossroads here, with Sean, with the uh, – I know you start, you won this league because you were able to get the guys who strike out uh, less and walk more. At least that's how it showed up uh, in our game this pa- uh, for that championship week. So we've had enough time to talk about it. I know this was hotly debated 
back in 2015 among baseball fans and uh, writers alike, uh, when the Royals won their World Series, that kind of uh, tipped the scales as, as to this whole plate discipline thing. Uh, and it was seen as having what they call plate discipline as being an analytics thing. So that means it's evil. <laughs> and then these free swinging Kansas City Royals with a high contact rate, you know, they kind of sh- poo pooed that idea and they won the World Series. And it was believed that that was going to be the new era in hitting whatever the Royals were doing. That's what everybody was going to do from here on out. So after what, five or six seasons, where are we in that debate in terms of having uh, being patient and being too aggressive? I mean, it's if you look at the last few World Series teams, they haven't been teams that walk the most or strike out the least. Granted, the Astros made it pretty close. But it's they find a, a nice medium. They make enough contact. Mm-hmm. that I don't think really portrays how good the offense is because they make enough contact to where they don't strike out too much, but it extends their at-bats. And if you have talented hitters who extend at-bats, you're going to get good results. I mean, you, you just look at the Astros this year. I mean, your best hitter is likely either Kyle Tucker or Carlos Correa. Kyle Tucker's been batting like sixth and seventh. Like that is how, you know, your lineup is just like stupid deep. And you, when you look at all their hitters in the lineup, they all kind of look the same. Not one of them has like a 30% strikeout rate. Not one of them has some crazy 15% or higher walk rate. They just bat to ball and use their talent. And I, I think that's kind of where a lot of teams want to be. They don't want to be the team that walks the most. They don't want to be the team that strikes up the least. They want to find a, some sort of, you know, happy medium between the two. Yeah. It, it goes back to what I always talk about. It's always about balance. Uh, and by the way, it's kind of funny that the patient approach was always an Oakland athletics thing. And the free swinging approach was always a Royals thing. The free swinging, but high contact rate was a, was a Royals thing. Uh, the Royals have the championship, and the A's have been irrelevant since then. But I have, I have another uh, Fangraphs page to show you. Right? Dun dun dun! Can, let me know if you can see that. It is it is popping up now. A uh, right, swing so, percentage, yes. So I went back from 2014. So right before the Royals won their championship, and I think the Royals were a good team that year too. In 2014, they lost yep. to uh, and the Giants in the World Series. Yeah, Madison Bumgarner. Okay. And then 2021. <laughs> it's the Yankees who strike out a lot. At least that's what Yankee fans tell me that they, <laughs> that they have no uh they 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 have no knack for uh, they have no they don't have a knack for situational hitting and they're always swinging like there's nobody on base. But they're a very patient team. The lowest swing percentage. That's actually very interesting. I, I would have not guessed them to be the lowest swing percentage. No, I mean, look at that lineup. It's a bunch of guys who are patient, take a lot of uh, walks, but they also strike out a lot because they work the count. They they do enough to foul off pitches. And unfortunately, when you're going through those long at-bats, we see highlights of it working the hitter's way. But there's also a good chance, because it's baseball, that it's going to work more for the pitchers than it is for the hitters. So, I mean, 3-2 count. You want to? I mean, it's a full count, but it's still two strikes on, against you. And uh, any anything can happen, and most often than not, 
those pitchers will find a way to get that strikeout in those key situations. Uh, there's the Dodgers at number two. Yep. So, I mean, they're a good team, right? That's a pretty good team. And as mentioned, the athletics, because that's the way Moneyball goes, that they have to have, <laughs> you have to have a patient approach. We don't want no free swingers on my team, he says. Uh, Billy I'm Bean. paying you to get on first base, not get caught stealing second. <laughs> well, get caught stealing first base. Uh, the, the Nationals, uh, obviously, with Bryce, uh, guys like Bryce Harper, Juan Soto, uh, all those guys uh, coming up. Uh, the Angels, uh, Mike Trout has learned how to be a very uh, nice balance approach uh, in terms of approach. Um, there, there's the Astros. We just talked about them. No surprise there. Cleveland, I mean, Jose Ramirez, uh, Frankie Lindor, those guys who don't strike out a lot, but they also know when to uh, swing for their pitch. The Red Sox, the Twins, the Blue Jays. It's it's the who's who of, of uh, very patient hitters. On the opposite side of the spectrum, though, and you tell me if what it's, it's a it's almost shocking that Tampa was so low on that list. Well, Tampa, I, it, it, I guess that just it goes back just far enough to where maybe they their offense wasn't in the the good place, but the good is place. now. <laughs> I think the other thing with Tampa is that they're 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 the chameleons of Major League Baseball. You see, they they all they care about is how your what player, how that player is going to succeed against the pitcher for that day. If it turns out that that player strikes out 30% of the time because he's swinging like at, at 60% of pitches that he sees, they don't care. They just know that against the fastball pitcher that's going onto the mound today, that this guy's hitting 345 or some crap like that. So they don't care. They have platoon systems all over the field because all they care about is winning and putting players in the right situation to succeed. I mean, Darren Ruff literally led off for the Giants last night. Darren and, Ruff. And the Giants are kind of similar, but in a different way where they still depend on grizzly old veterans to get the job done. Um, it's, it's, it's The Giants are a weird team. And oh, they're, they're, this year, they were the Rays of the West. I mean, it was nothing but platoons in the lineup and in the bullpen. Yep. I mean, it was Austin Slater. And Mike Yastrzemski, Wilmer Flores, and Brandon Belt, Evan Longoria, and Tommy Lastella. It's like everywhere you look, there was some sort of platoon. Yeah. And which, it worked out great for him. Yeah, which goes back to what Austin and I discussed last Monday about uh, Austin has a belief that once the Dodgers started getting a consistent lineup every day, that's when they won the World Series. I, I, I disagree with them. And then, but it's still that old school mentality, right? Like if you, Stop messing around with the lineups. Just pick a lineup and just go with it, which we've seen time and time again. Even the Dodgers, who have been one of the more successful teams the last four or five years, they, I think, what, they always lead the league in lineup changes. They, they don't have a set lineup on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, Same- I think I think this year, I believe I remember seeing somewhere that Tampa had the, had the most runs in baseball, but they also had the highest number of different lineups. I was just and, about to say that same thing with the Rays and, and it's like with the Giants pe- and people that say, oh, you know, if you change the lineup a million times, how do you expect the players to be good? It's like, look at Tampa, <laughs> look, at, look at San Francisco and they're yeah. doing it with low upside guys or, or no upside guys at all. And all they're doing is just making lemonade out of lemons. That's all they're doing. I mean, it's um yeah, it is the Tampa of the, of the of the West because of Gabe Kapler and then everybody buying into his style of managing and his style of analytics. But 
you look at those players and, and there's they're nothing special at least tampa you could say that they have some guys with some upside you met we mentioned them every single week those guys in tampa bay the giants on the other hand nobody nobody i mean, I mean they pick guys they pick up lamont wade off the scrap heap he turns into the 800 plus ops season it, darren ruff was basically all but forgotten in baseball yep. and they turn him into a, dr- a dramatically affecting lineup piece just yep. because of how much he hit lefties he was one of the few giants to actually stay healthy all year uh, Brandon Belt has one of his best seasons in recent memory, yep. partially because he did get to platoon. And it's like you just look at it, and it's like everywhere in the lineup and on the roster, players were put in the best position to succeed. And that's why they won 107 games. Yeah, it, it really is amazing. And But it just it does go back to them doing it with a bunch of guys i mean steven duggar and there's another guy uh steven i can't hit a breaking ball duggar i love it (laughs) yeah and the other guy alex dickerson was it the other oh god the one batter that probably missed on the giants was the one that all off season i was championing and he was like the worst hitter that actually played like he, he just had a down year so last year when I was doing my rankings and I was looking at the projections, and this is offseason 2020. Uh, so, so going from 2019 to 2020 is what I meant. Yeah, the Giants outfielders, I wanted to stay away from them because they had very low expectations, very low projections. And then once the season started, we started notice. I mean, we talked about it in 2020. Hey, you know, the Giants have some outfielders that can help your lineup this week, you guys. You guys should try picking them up. And I, I know I picked up all the Giants hitters last year to help me uh go through that COVID season uh and it's just a bunch of guys who had no expectations no upside whatsoever low projections and all of a sudden they're like you mentioned they're being uh finding ways to be successful with those guys so so there you mentioned him Mike Jastrzemski suddenly well I mean I don't know about this year but last year he was an MVP candidate yeah I, I, I think the funniest thing was Austin Slater's the other Austin yeah. Slater's the other guy Unbelievable. some of the like least talked about guys or the, the most talked about guys in the Giants were like Alex Dickerson and Mauricio Dubon and yeah. both of those guys ended up being the tiniest pieces in this lineup meanwhile guys like Darren Ruff and Steven Duggar and Austin Slater Lamont Wade Jr. just carried them and you're yeah. like, what in the world happened? Like, what alternate reality am I living in where these guys are carrying their team to 107 wins? Like, what? Like, the, the twins are probably just sitting there, like, pulling their hair out, saying Lamont Wade did what? Because, yeah. like, that that's what it feels like. Well, that's the opposite. Well, and the other thing we got to know is about the Giants. Not a single player on, on this active lineup, as of right now, according to Roster Resource, is younger than 25 years old. Like I said, it's just a bunch of low upside, uh, low floor, but safe veterans who know how to play baseball, who've been through the rigors of a, of a major league season. Not a single guy, not a single guy on, on their lineup is over 25, not even in their bench, wow. is under 25 years old. Uh, how, pitching, how old is du- Dubon? Well, Dubon's not even on this thing. Yeah, he's, he's probably he's not on the roster, but I, I think he's under 25, maybe. Uh, well, let's take a look. Let's see. Mauricio Duvance, uh, on the AAA lineup, he's 27. Wow, yeah, 
Joey Bart is about to be 25, and he's supposed to be their highest, uh, one of their highest rated <laughs> prospects. And they better hurry up with him. Uh, Joey Bart, I, I think a lot of people are about to sour on him very quickly. Yeah. So and that's the Giants. Uh, and again, you look and you if you look at the starting rotation, what Logan Webb's the youngest at 24, and his time's coming up soon, right? I mean, yeah. I mean he can, he's, he's the stud of them. I mean, in the second, whoa, 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 whoa. He, no, he, no, he's he's the best pitcher in that rotation. Whoa, 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 whoa. He, he's better than Kevin Gosman. No, okay, now you're he, being crazy. No, now you're just he, trying to say things to get me on the, on, underneath my skin. No, <laughs> no, partially, bro. partially. Once I heard the first reaction, yes, but no, 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 yeah, no, he, no. he is better than Kevin Gosman. No, I, no, I, no, I, no, I, I believe no. in that. No, no, no. no, no. Logan <laughs> Webb's Logan Webb's lucky to be alive. <laughs> That's all it is. Logan Webb's lucky to be in a, on a team that that continue to believe in him. Uh, but Kevin Gosman's the goods. I don't know why Kevin Gosman's pitching number two, but that's fine. You know, because he sucked in the second half. <laughs> Do you not see him get 14 strikeouts per walk uh, <laughs> the last week of the season in our championship game? Come on. Didn't help you much. <laughs> well, it wasn't his fault. You know? <laughs> I'm still waiting for Lucas Giolito to show up on my oh. team. <laughs> uh, see, that's the thing we talk about, though, right? Starting pitching is very volatile. That's why when I saw Kevin Gosman available in our draft, like, well, that's my guy. I'm not. I'm not taking a chance on those other bums. And it turned out to be the correct move. So everybody can suck on a lemon on that one. Uh, so that's the Giants. So they're not. So you can say that they're doing it with smoke and mirrors, but it's this is just. Um, it really is. Uh, oh, I didn't. Oh, okay. Oh. It really is a, a a testament to them doing the hard work, not just on the field, but also off the field and upstairs yeah. with their analytics department. And I mean, that's what it should, that's what it should look like, Sean. Yeah. It shouldn't be this like, Oh, well, the analytics team is not letting the manager do their job or the managing team isn't listening to the analysts. There should be a streamlined connection between both. Cause that's just the way it is nowadays. You just have to accept it. And the teams who are accepting it, they're in the playoffs and the teams that are not accepted have already been eliminated or are at home, not knowing where to go from here. Yeah. And, and that's the, the super interesting thing is Gabe Kapler was basically chased out of town in Philadelphia. And people were like, he doesn't know how to manage a bullpen. He doesn't know how to do this. He sucks. He's the worst. And then he goes to San Francisco and he's given a roster and told to play the matchups and he plays the matchups and boom, 107 wins. And we've talked a lot about the Giants lineup in the last 10 or so minutes, 15 minutes. But their bullpen was really, especially down the stretch where they brought up guys like uh, Camillo Duval uh, or Curvin Castro. Uh, I, I learned uh, firsthand in my 30 team league uh, my opponent's bullpen scored eight, almost 100 points by themselves in throughout the matchup. And it was to guys like uh, Duval. Stecken Ryder, Sadler, and it's like all these relief pitchers that were on the Giants, that were on the, the Mariners, that nobody had gave a second thought to, and they just performed. I mean, they came up and they did their jobs, and they were one of the best at it. And I, it, it's just such a weird thing for the Giants this year. It, it makes you want to believe it's not sustainable, but is it? I mean. People were saying the same thing about the Tampa Bay Rays. Is this sustainable? And that they, it's been sustainable enough for the last few years. 
maybe the, the the thing that Giants have going against them is that it, you saw the ages of those guys. It, they're well over 30 years old. We, I mean, we talked about their starting rotation with Logan Webb being the young I mean, one. The, uh, their so, ace is 24 years old. Uh, their, no, their ace was 30, 31. But every, I mean, when the season started, every everybody else was still over 30, well over 30. And and they still are. It, it still are, except for Logan Webb, who was the young in, that, in the fifth spot uh, when the season started. Uh, but uh, – so they have time going against them, whereas the Rays, they they just like regurgitate players in and out. I mean, you, they, you see them trade young guys for old guys, and then they trade old guys for young guys. Uh, it, it's just a, a it's a, it, it's a cutthroat approach, and it's something I want to talk to Austin about. But I might as well bring it up to you um, as uh, this being the new way of consistently winning baseball games, and and, and this is just a, a an evolution of Oakland's Moneyball approach. Um, but the difference was when the A's were winning in the early 2000s, when that book came out, they still had studs all over the field. Jason Giambi, Miguel Tejada, MVP candidates, and a trio of wonderful starting pitchers to get you through. Yep. It was everywhere else, those complimentary players that were that were part of the money ball aspect of things. You know, you, you saw the movie, Scott Hatterberg suddenly becomes an everyday, uh, not an everyday first baseman, but an integral, integral part of that lineup because he can get on base. Uh, you know, all those guys. So my, my point here, Sean, is um, what these two teams have done is they've taken that approach Added some steroids and PEDs to it, right? To use that idiom. And if you're not cheating, you're not trying. <laughs> well, that's not. It's not that, but it's um, it, they they they, it's every player is now susceptible to this approach. Everybody everybody has a buddy system. There are no key players, right? There are no core players. It's just a, a an interchangeable parts, uh, of uh, of, uh, of of yeah, interchangeable parts on on these two teams. Uh, yeah, and yes, you could tell me. Well, the Giants had Brandon Crawford, Buster Posey, Brandon Belt. People were telling me. People were telling us, Sean, that those guys were done. They were too old. That their best years were all in the early 2010s. That they they peaked when they won those three championships. And now the Giants foolishly are trying to compete and they're trying to do things that make no sense. And going with these uh, these 30 year olds uh, in a in a world where everything is going younger and cheaper. Um, but it turns out that the Giants' approach was correct. The only difference is that they've uh, used that buddy system. They, you know, depending on who the who's pitching out there, this is going to be the lineup that's going to hit versus the supposed everyday lineup that doesn't exist anymore. Is this the new way of baseball? And is it good for the game to just have an interchangeable parts of no names winning you baseball games? I mean, I, I think a lot of people will say it's terrible, but. I think it's wonderful. I mean, you go look at Tampa versus Boston in game two in which they lost. Yeah. But it was the first time I think they said in playoff history where or it might have just been raised. Um, Jordan Luplo was yeah. starting that game at first base, even though he's traditionally an outfielder. Yep. Just because he crushes lefties and Chris yep. Sale was on the mound. He comes up huge. hits the grand slam in the first inning. And then is pinch hit for or a double switched out of the game before his second plate appearance because they knocked Chris Sale out of the game. And once Chris Sale was out of the game, the Rays said, huh, let's go get a lefty in there to uh, go up against Tanner Huck. And that can play first base a little bit better. So they put G-Man Choi in the game and then G-Man Choi hit a home run. And it's one of those like, you would have never – the guy hit a, a grand slam in the first inning, and then he's out of the game before he can have another at-bat just because, hey, 
this guy was in here to hit lefties. The lefty is no longer in the game. We want better defense. And it's like, that's something that would have never happened in the past. Right. Oh, this guy hit a grand slam. Of course, he's going to get another at bat. Nope. And, and, and that's because his job was to hit the lefty. The lefty was out of the gate. So a lot of people, I, I think, don't like that. But at the same time, it gives you a better chance to win. Yeah. So why why don't you like it? No, I mean, it's true. The only bad thing about it is that it, it is. So now, not, not get ready for this, because now we're going to go really meta here, uh, for lack of a better term. But the problem with that is, I mean, it's not a problem, but from a entertainment value, I guess you could say, you're you can't market no-name players. And this is a league, based Major League Baseball, this is a league that gets criticized by both casual fans and hardcore fans alike that they do a horrible job, a horrendous job of marketing their players, which maybe that's part of the plan. Maybe part of their issue is that they want to not market these players because uh, they they want to make sure that... Because we know what happens when you market these players and, and they, they go on these... Uh, uh, these uh, commercial campaigns and they become larger than life. Once they become larger than life, you got to pay them what the larger than life persona is, despite the results on the field. Uh, and then suddenly you're giving out, you're handing out $300 million contracts. Well, I think what these teams have realized, like, you know what? Viewership is still up. Our, our app is, is utilized by a lot of people um, uh, all over the world, all over the country, whatever. Uh, you know, we're still money's still coming in from TV deals. What we don't like is having to pay these players $300 million contracts. Why don't we just go with this no name approach? This and we'll use the analytics to our advantage. And be, these the supposed household names that normally would become household names during this time of year, they become nobodies because they're they, you don't see them every day, you don't see them, they're not marketed, they're not being built up, nothing's happening, but because these players are on, on such short um, uh, uh, screen time appearances and, and they don't get to play every day. They can manipulate on the back end the cost for these players. Well, Jordan, you only put, you only, how can we pay you a million dollars a year when you only, you're only a part-time player? We literally, you're a part-time player. You had a grand slam. That's fine. But what else did you do? Why are you, why are you only a part-time player? Why aren't you an everyday player? What, what's holding you back? Let's give you the bare minimum another year. And then we'll talk after the season. And then they're going to do the same exact thing. And that's just my theory. I don't know if you see it that way or not, but this diabolical approach that major league baseball is having to suppressing salaries. Well, it's like uh, BJ Upton uh, during one of the games he posted on Twitter. This is the same team that took me to arbitration over $300,000. And he was talking about the race. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and I'm just like, well, one, I'm not one to doubt the race. Two, BJ, you sucked. <laughs> and it's like, I'm not sure if he was like trying to shade them or if he was like shading himself because no, he's they didn't trying to shade them. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm just like, what? Like, well, it's Melvin, it's Melvin Upton. Come on. We know how he is. Uh, uh, but riding coattails of Justin since 2008. <laughs> pretty much. But I mean, that's basically the approach. And I, I hate to do this to you, but that's. In terms of wrestling, that's basically the same approach that Vince McMahon has utilized the last few years with his wrestling company, where he doesn't he makes sure that these guys don't get too big, at least you know depending how you talk to too big for their sure, britches, too big for the because you know one, one, once they get too big then they start leaving you know like The Rock and John Cena suddenly you you can't manipulate their 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 service their service time oh my god maybe there are <laughs> maybe there are more parallels than we think 
But literally, I mean, The Rock, he <laughs> Baseball left. is rigged. <laughs> Baseball is rigged. Everything, this is all an illusion. But yeah, The Rock basically left because he went on to make movies where he made millions of dollars. And when McMahon asked him, all right, where's our cut? The Rock was like, fuck you. What, what do you mean your cut? I work <laughs> for this. Well, <laughs> McMahon- I'm sorry, sir. Were you in the movie? <laughs> Well, it's a tale as old as time with with these wrestling promotions. Uh, Once these guys become big and they start making a little bit change outside of wrestling, these promoters will come and ask, well, where's our cut? We made you the the star that you are. Where's our where's our money for making you bigger than life? Where's our cut? And (laughs) it becomes really awkward. And and, and since then, McMahon and The Rock have mended fences. And uh, I don't know if The Rock actually did eventually pay back McMahon. But I mean, you see it with John Cena. But I mean, John Cena, he does WWE movies. He doesn't. He, he'll start he'll do other hollywood movies uh from time to time but he'll mcmahon will literally make sure that he's if he's gonna do movies he's gonna do it on the wwe brand. yeah uh you saw <laughs> batista leave and I, I again i apologize for not making this baseball but I'm, I'm, I'm getting to a point here batista also left wrestling to make movies for himself uh on the uh on uh, hollywood movies right and uh he he's only occasionally come back but their relationship is not as bad as the rock the rocks was and but basically these guys were built big by that promotion and they once they found an opening to get the hell out so they're not putting their bodies to all this hard work and this bruising or whatever uh they took that exit and mcmahon and company are like wait how are we gonna make money off of you now you ditched us you left us we made you and i I think that's the same idea that major league baseball is going with at this point you know you, you don't you don't build too many stars people are gonna watch regardless we're, the TV money's going to come in anyway. Why? Why should we? Why should we take that uh, hero ball approach? It doesn't work. You don't win games, and you end up having to pay the hero a lot of money so he could stay for a long period of time. When you could just pay everybody about the same amount as you would the hero, you see, and, and you get to win games. Sure, your your you know your attendance is down, but who cares? You know, the money's going to come in regardless. I'm sorry. Are you the principal owner of the tampa bay rays because you sound like the principal owner of the tampa bay rays i mean i'm just observing it that's just the way it is i mean and again it all started with with the money ball aspect of things and then once the royals won their championship with using that approach but uh, the money ball approach when it comes to uh signing their players and and and, and developing their play not developing but you know bringing it's uh, going with a, a low salary and, and core and maximizing- the, like yeah you you maximized your core like the guys like eric hosmer Escobar. And those, and those are players that people gave up on. Even Royals fans. I literally saw Royals fans. We need to blow this up already. This is before 2014. We need to blow this up already and become like the A's. I literally saw that from Royals fans in 2013. And Hosmer, bum. Mustaka's is a bum. Uh, who's the other guy? Lorenzo Kane, bum. <laughs> All of them. And wait a couple of years because those are the guys who are going to win you that championship. And you know what's funny is Alcides Escobar had a higher uh, fan graphs score this year than he did in 2015 when he played like 600 games for the Royals. Who did he play for? The, the Nationals? He played for the Nationals, and he was good. <laughs> That's so odd. Maybe maybe, maybe experience, right? Maybe he's uh, he's he's uh, he's trying out. He's, he's putting it on film for tryouts with the Giants or Tampa Bay Rays next year. Yeah, he was. I, I love how I said he was good, and then I pull up his fan graphs page. And he was exactly a 100 uh, weighted runs created plus player. I know I started seeing him available, uh, highly ranked on the waiver wire. Yeah, he, uh, he, he started playing a lot. He was a 1.7 uh, war, played 75 games, was his first major league season since 2018. Oh, geez. 
Yeah. Well, wel- well welcome back. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, and when I saw his name, I thought that can't be right. Is that Alcides Escobar? No way. <laughs> Maybe it's another guy named A. Anthony Escobar. Antonio Anthony Escobar. Escobar. Anthony anyway, Soprano. <laughs> Anthony Soprano Escobar. Uh, so really quick, the last thing I want to talk about, the opposite side of the spectrum. I think we might have touched it a little bit, but we might as well go on the opposite side. These are the top 10 aggressive swinging percentages. Um, In that, I can believe. I, I yeah. can believe that's it, looking at it. I mean, the Royals, we talk about, we just talked about how aggressive they were in 2015, and they've been aggressive ever since. Danny like, DeVito with the Royals hat on. So I started swinging. <laughs> so, I, so I started swinging. Alberto Mondesi. Uh, who else is out there? I can't think. That, Nicky Lopez. Like, oh, Nicky yeah, Lopez yeah, has a higher F word than Mookie Betts, Nicky Lopez. Yeah. Look at that. Oh. That's why analytics suck, right? <laughs> uh, the Rockies, but if you're in Colorado, why wouldn't you aggressively pursue? Yeah, I, Carlos- I was going to say, swing at everything, just in case I mean, you hit it. Guys like Carlos Gonzalez, Trevor Story, Nolan Arenado, guys who are just very aggressive at the play. The Tigers, so yeah, what was that? What the, what did this aggressive approach do ever do for the Tigers? Nothing. That's I, I, It's such a terrible ballpark. Why haven't they changed the dimensions of it? They have already. They, they've actually brought in the fences a little bit uh, back in the early 2010s, I, believe, I mean, man. to dead away center is like 420 and to right center is just like freaking the Mojave Desert. I, I, I don't get well, that ballpark. Well, they're developing pitchers, right? Matt Manning, uh, Casey Mize. Developing pitchers. Tariq Skubal. We're still waiting on those guys. Hey, Highly Tariq Skubal finished with like right around a four ERA. So yeah, I mean, that he, was bad. He'd get torched as well, though. Come on. <laughs> uh, the Orioles, obviously, I mean, when you guys when you have guys like Adam Jones and I mean that. And again, this is early 20. This is 2014. Round, I believe Manny, Machado, Adam Jones. Yeah, Manny Machado, Adam Jones. We'll hack at everything. Sure. Uh, the Braves, you know, uh, I don't remember what would Acuna be a free swinger at this point. Uh, I mean, like the first couple years, but he's pretty disciplined now. Last two years. Um, trying to think about who would cause them to be so high. Ozzy um, Albies. <laughs> Albies. Yes. Oh my god! I got into another discussion about Aussie Alves, and it it pisses me off because when you pulled up the best players in our fantasy league, he was like top ten in terms of end of season score. And I'm like, how does he do it when he's a below league average hitter against righties? How does he do it? Bottom line, Sean, it comes down to playing time. And you know what I I basically said when I was having this discussion? I said, you know who Aussie Alves is. Oh, let me guess. When he, me, when he bats guess. left, when he bats lefty at, oh, against right-handed mind. pitching, you know who he is? I don't know who. Rugged it at a door. Oh yeah. Oh god. And, 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 it it makes too much sense. Well, it's it, uh, and then Ozzie versus Alves. lefties, he he hits like three eighty <laughs> and has like a slugging over nine hundred. It's like the dumbest thing in the world. Well, Ozzy Albies is the is the reason why I was going heavy. I was telling people to go heavy after Salvador Perez back in twenty twenty. It's just it just comes down to playing time. You know, in a world where these players are seeing less playing time or getting hurt more regularly or getting more rest time, you want to go after a guy like Ozzy Alves because he will play every day. Hence, he'll get the counting stats that and pad those uh, categories that you're looking for. I mean, he uh, played 156 games. He had 30 <laughs> home runs, 20 stolen bases, 100 plus runs in RBIs. And yet he was a 107 WRC plus hitter. Yeah, but the counting sets all that matters in fantasy. That's why he was uh, regularly the number one. 686 plate appearances. The number one guy in fantasy. I kind of changed my mind. I went with DJ LeMahieu just because I thought Oof. he had one more guy, <laughs> one more good season. Plus he he's eligible at, at, at other positions as well. 
but as term in terms of solid hitter, he's the guy. And I bypassed the uh, the county stats that Ozzy Alves uh, could give you. <laughs> and it turned out, no, that was the wrong move to make that. You should have just gone with the county stats. But either way, I, I, I always draft my second baseman pretty late in the draft anyway, so it doesn't matter. Okay. Speaking uh, of playing time and plate appearances, I just decided to sort um, the league leaders and plate appearances. And number seven is Bo Bichette. Number six is Tommy Edmond, who I was telling people – uh, before drafts last year, don't draft Ozzy Albies, wait a hundred picks and draft Tommy Edmond. And I wasn't necessarily wrong. I mean, Tommy Edmond gave you 30 stolen bases, 91 runs, 11 home runs, which is nothing compared to, you know, 30 home runs, but still pretty good discount. But Bo Bichette was seven, Ozzy Albies was nine. <laughs> and the difference between Ozzy Albies and the batter in front of him in terms of WRC plus was only four points. This guy has uh, had a one Oh three WRC plus and Ozzy Albies had a one Oh seven. Um, JP Crawford. <laughs> God, <laughs> I mean, like it, 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 you look at their numbers and you're like, obviously Ozzy Albies is dramatically better. And it's like, you look at their home runs, runs, RBI stolen bases, and then you look at the WRC plus and you just like can't reconcile. Well, what, what was his on base percentage? Albies. I think that was another thing that we talked 310, about. In the 310. Oh, so typical Ozzy Albies. Yeah. Remember typical we Ozzy Albies. Yeah. So. I'm, I'm telling you, it, it's, it's the rate stats. He crushes lefties just enough to make his slash line at the end of the year somewhat palatable. But it's always the counting stats with him. And that, that frustrates the hell out of me. Uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to load. Oh, there it is. So yeah, he finishes the number one second baseman even in our league that accounts for on base percentage and batting average. Yeah. It didn't matter because the counting stats were so ridiculously high that he still finished at top at the very top of the second base list based on 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 the uh, plate. He finished better than Marcus Simeon, who also had a monster year this year. Yeah. And uh, I, I feel like the stolen bases probably plays into a factor there. What was the? I mean, well, no, only, well remember we used stolen base two, net. Okay. Yeah, yeah, only difference. We used we used stolen base net over here, so it's remarkable that. Albies with the low on base and the low batting average still finished ahead of Marcus Simeon in our league. And I can't figure out why. Is it uh, low strikeouts? Tri- may- tri- maybe the triples there. Like, yeah. I honestly feel like that's probably the deciding factor right there is triples. Oh, wow. All right. Uh, well, there it is. Uh, draft for triples then. Uh, <laughs> let me, you know, that brings big, up another question. Big brain play. Who led the league in triples and what was their score? Uh, so there's Shohei Otani. Yeah, he was 95. tied. He t- who is he tied with David Peralta? Jesus Christ, that Brian dude's Reynolds. like old now. I mean, these are not the speed guys, I don't think. I mean, so Brian Reynolds, I never confuse him for a speed guy. I mean, Shohei yeah. Otani's pretty fast, yeah. That was kind of surprising, uh, to see that him run like a gazelle out there. So, I mean, he had what like two triples in one of those last games at the, the last week or something like that, yeah. Something oh, that crazy. that's what it was in the semifinals. I had him in my pitching rotation. in... Uh, he was supposed to pitch on a Sunday, and that Saturday he hit two triples, and I would have won triples for that week if I had had him in my lineup. Oh God, um, I'm I'm getting triggered over triples. Oh no, that's all right. You won anyway, so yeah. Uh, really quick, uh, <laughs> the Chicago White Sox also on that top, uh, on that free swinging way since 2014 for obvious reasons. I mean, look, Jose Abreu for starters, Tim Anderson we talked about, even Eloy Jimenez and Luis Robert, they'll swing at everything, and the exception is Juan Moncada, who is who. Looks, you know, 
one of these things don't belong together here. Um, <laughs> the Giants, obviously, when you guys have like a Pablo Sandoval on your team who swings at almost every single pitch, but he's able to make consistent contact, it doesn't matter. But you also have a guy like uh, – oh, who's another guy? Who, um, what, I mean, Crawford? Brandon Belt's been a pretty patient hitter. Brandon Crawford, I believe, is a, a Cra- Crawford kind of usually swings a lot. Yeah, he doesn't have a very high walk rate for his career, I don't think. The Reds also out there, which is remarkable. Thinking tiny ballpark. Many, well, tiny ballpark by Joey Votto, who doesn't swing at anything ever. But Eugenio uh, Suarez. Yeah. <laughs> Zach Cozart, the dead body oh, of yeah. Zach Cozart. Yeah. Is he dead? Um, no. no. Uh, <laughs> he, he might as well be. He got <laughs> he was traded along with a first round pick, uh, Will Wilson, just so they could get rid of his contract. <laughs> I and then he was immediately DFA'd. Like right after the trade. So the team accepted a first round pick, Will Wilson, just to take on his contract. I thought that was hilarious. But talk about making yourself feel bad. The last three teams on the list, the Phillies, who I don't understand. I can only think about Michael Franco since 2014 being that free swinger. I don't know who else would have been on that team. Uh, Tampa Bay Rays, we just talked about them at nauseum. The New York Mets, which that was so surprising because of all the – they have a lot of guys. When you go back and look, Daniel Murphy was a patient hitter. Michael Conforto, oh, Brandon oh, Nemo. Murphy swung more than you realized. Murphy uh, was more of like a, a contact hitter. And then when he – that last year was when his walk rate actually elevated when he started hitting. Yeah, you're going to be surprised at how low uh, his career this, walk rate was. No, I'm not talking about the walker. I'm just talking about the swing oh. percentage. Oh, no, that, he, he was a swinger. He was a swinger. Yeah, that's what I meant. Okay, I mean, not not like that type of swinger, but he was a swinger. <laughs> isn't that a movie, too? <laughs> I'm sure there's plenty of movies about it. So, yeah, right there, 48%, 49%. Oh, okay, so, yeah, he was a, a, more aggressive than I remembered. I, yeah. 53% to finish off his year. But, again, when in Colorado, just hack at everything. Uh, I'll, so, I'll always remember when he was a prospect and – they did a little interview with him and they came up to him and they asked him who he was. And he said, I'm Daniel Murphy and I bat third. <laughs> not, not I play third. I play second. I play left field. I'm Daniel Murphy and I bat third. So now I'm kind of curious uh, and, and and we'll finish with this. Uh, let's go back 2014, 2021. Let's look at the Mets. Here's the Mets. Uh, oh no. Don't look at the 2014 look. Mets. No, Eric, well, Eric Young Jr. Their best player. <laughs> I, I we kid but he probably was so i gotta i gotta do some changes here come on there you go this is riveting uh oh right i gotta do the mets right so let's go with the mets here the mets mets meet, meet the, the mets. mets this M-E- is a, this is gonna be such a sad team m-e-a-t meet the mets oh all right uh, mcneil oh wow mcneil was up there robinson Cano. Jacob the oh, Okay, so this isn't just 2014. Okay, okay. So no, it's like 20, bad. Still 2014 through 2021. Remember? Okay. Uh, there's Daniel Murphy. So yeah, he's a, he's on the aggressive side, sure. Uh, and but so are a lot of these guys as well. I did not realize how aggressive this. Well, yeah, man, Rosario. That that one's that one's a given. But Jeff McNeil, I always thought he was a more patient hitter. No, he, he he he's he's a oh god crack. Um, he he's like uh Daniel Murphy 2.0. I think like like they just swing. They just swing. Well, not I mean not not this high, not even for Daniel Murphy, not this side. But <laughs> the one thing that McNeil has is the high contact rate. So when you have a high contact rate, odds are you are a pretty aggressive swinger because you are swinging at everything, making and that gives you a more chance to make contact. It's this baseball one on one, guys. So interesting <laughs> list. There's Juan Cespedes at forty eight percent. Yeah, he was a pretty aggressive guy. Um, 
What about the? He opposite? always had a higher walk rate than I always thought. Like he was always like between nine and ten percent, or eight and ten percent. Well, here's the opposite side: Curtis Granderson, Jose Bautista, yeah. Brandon Nimmo, Lucas Duda, who I always had. Th- high those are for. like plate discipline gods, right there. Those are all. Uh, the, now it's funny because I'm looking at 2014 just by itself as the Mets' best players, and who led that team in WAR? Lucas Duda in his 135 WRC plus. Uh, he had a 30 home run season in 2014. Man, Lucas Duda, man. Every time, every single time you think you look at the analytics and you think, man, that's a great player. He has the size. He looks the part. He's like the p- prototype first baseman. And it just never translated in my points league for whatever reason. And that's a good way to, that's a good place to stop. I know we Lucas Duda. <laughs> I mean, yeah, man. That's not where I thought this, the show was going to end up. <laughs> yeah. This is what happens when there's no game plan. We, this is our willy nilly show. I mean, mm. we normally prepare and do all this stuff uh in preparation for the show today we we just wanted to give sean his little victory lap and then we just quickly moved on uh to other weird rabbit holes in this (laughs) game we call baseball um any final thoughts for from you sean uh lucas duda is good was was good he he, he, what what oh that makes it sound like he died lucas duda is good he is yeah, good. Just never translated in my points league, and that used to drive me crazy. I know he had. Low and it's on weird because he's only thirty-five, and you would have thought that like the profile would have aged like slightly better. No, but he I mean, just like well, fell off a cliff. I mean, I like that. I mean, the big slugger, the big lefty slugger that walks a lot. Usually, they last a little bit longer. Yeah, they turn into Jason Giambi with the Rockies. I understand. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I just will never understand how a guy that big that consistently good with the power numbers was not good enough in my points league. It just, it just never translated. And I, and that used to drive me nuts because, Oh my God, people are sleeping on Lucas Duda. I better go pick him up. And, and, and now I'm going to win my championship and then never translated, but you got You got a Matt Olson and, 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 and playing in a big cavernous ballpark in that place. So I, I don't know. It's, it's weird. Baseball's weird. It's so funny because when I think of Lucas Duda, Everyone always is like, oh, he struck out so much. And then you go and you look at his career strikeout rate. It was 24.5%. I mean, it yeah. it wasn't like Joey Gallo. People make it made it sound like he was Joey Gallo, but he really wasn't. I mean, uh, yeah, different times back then. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, uh, okay, if 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 I go through another rabbit hole, we're never gonna finish the show, but let's just <laughs> Let's go. Let's get going. Uh, enjoy the football. Uh, we are recording on a Sunday morning. Uh, so people are getting, uh, I know there's already a game on Jets and the Falcons. Um, Falcons should take care of the Jets, but we'll see. Jets, I don't know, all of a sudden they're playing hard. And Zach they're Wilson, playing in London. They're playing in London. Cheerio. As our, <laughs> our guy, Johnny Ortega, would say, Cheerio. Hey, cheerio, you guys. What's up? <laughs> cheerio. Hey, I'm off the pub here in London, you know. Get my tea and crumpets. <laughs> oh, shit. I'm barbecuing outside. The, the... I always imagine that these uh, British people have very tiny homes. Uh, little... In my tiny backyard, yo. And after this, we're going to go see the Sox play the, 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 the fucking the Tampa Bay Rays. <laughs> On the telly, on the telly here. Oh, God. Oh God. This he's show has gone downhill. <laughs> hey, how you doing, blokes? He's... 
Oh, wrap us up, please. <laughs> so, like I said, we have other podcasts. Uh, we're running out of time to name them all. Uh, you know where they are. Basketball life, uh, that uh, baseball life. We have that other show and wrestling life. We have a lot of lives. We, we have a lot of lives. Multiple <laughs> life personalities here and on Facebook. But be sure to join us and keep this conversation going. At we're the, the cats life. of Facebook. The cats of Facebook, nine we lives. Get a, we get a lives. We are the Aerosmith of baseball, nine lives album. <laughs> so hard on the knees. Uh, what was I talking about? Oh, baseball life. That is the Facebook group that you can join us and keep this conversation going. There's going to be game threads. We're going to talk about the playoffs. There's going to be more playoff games today. It's the most wonderful time of the year. October baseball is here upon us. So be sure to be a part of our conversations there. And, and, uh, for Sean, I am Felipe. We will see you soon.